Today's scripture reading is from Romans 8, 1 through 5. This is Romans 8, verses 1 through 5. Please stand as we honor God with his word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is the word of the living God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. At a time where our hearts are stirred and we see so much uh, rebellion in the world and around us. We thank you that we can gather together as your children under the authority of your word. Holy Spirit, please minister to us. We plead with Holy Spirit that you will sanctify our hearts. We pray that today will be the day of salvation for some. Spirit of God, we pray that you will take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, that, a heart that can be molded by you. Father, I thank you for our brother Julius, who you have called to preach this text on this day. We know, God, that you have predestined before the foundation of the world for him to stand at that pulpit today and proclaim your mighty and holy word. We ask that you will give him power and unction this morning, that he will decrease as you increase. We pray that you give him clarity of speech. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for working in his life and calling him to this task. God, we are so excited to see we anticipate of what you're going to do during this time. Help us, God, whatever you do in our hearts. We pray that it will be worked out through our life practically as we leave here today. We love you and praise you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' powerful and beautiful and almighty name. Amen.
Morning, church. Have you ever felt depressed or discouraged? Have you ever felt the feeling of sinking? The feeling that weighs on you so heavy that you don't feel you have the strength to complete even the simplest task? Living, as we are all aware, can be a very hard thing to do sometimes. Sometimes we think that it's as easy as being able to breathe or as effortless as waking up in the morning. That living would be simply the same as that. That we would follow some sort of seemingly automatic process to life. That living would just be as easy as the sun rising and the moon setting. But we all know that life isn't that easy, is it? There isn't no simple automatic process to the way life is being lived. We understand that there are hardships and that we all go through hardships, through difficult moments. And it's in those difficult moments that we have a hopeful expectation that we will persevere to the end. Faith and a hopeful expectation can be a sort of light that guides us through dark places and times that we face. Moments of great challenge are faced with courage when we hope and we can see our way through. But what if there is no hope? What if the situation is indeed a hopeless one? What if there was no way out? That is a feeling of despair and depression. Online, there's a definition of depression that, that says, depression is a mood order that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression. It affects how you feel, think, and behave, and can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. You may have trouble doing normal day-to-day -day activities, and sometimes you may feel as if life isn't worth living at all. During these episodes, certain symptoms can occur most of the day nearly every day, and it may include feeling of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, or hopelessness. The origin or position of despair or depression can be at times difficult to pinpoint in an individual. The pit that people find themselves in can be described as using the darkest words or even the most destitute language. And yet, as terrible and as bad as that sounds and seems, and for those who have wrestled with depression know, there is no position that is so desperate than to be in the position under the condemnation of God. To understand this, we see Paul unpack over several chapters the condition of man with his condemnation and his need for salvation. In chapter 7, we see him use language of despair when he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
To find yourself under the condemnation of God is no mere disagreement among peers, but a declaration of hostilities against the author of all creation, the sustainer and source of life. Divine condemnation is God's righteous condemnation directed against human sin and wickedness. It is the sin and wickedness of man that God is against. It is the sin and wickedness of man that boldly declares a disregard for God and his law. And since no one is righteous, no, not one, it seems all mankind is destined to remain under the threat of judgment. Such is a depressing place to be. Our goal and theme for today is to reveal how the blessed assurance for the Christian is the only hope for mankind in a life of despair. And we start off with our first point, the evidence of no condemnation. The evidence of no condemnation. Paul opens up chapter 8 with a statement that looks to summarize his entire argument in the book of Romans. That is, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says there is now no condemnation, and that's an important point to highlight. Paul in this, tech isn't, isn't, in this text isn't referring to a future hope that won't be realized until a later date solely, but that he is referring to something that is also experienced now. It is in part realized now in the fact that what marks those in Christ Jesus is that they don't walk after the flesh, but that they walk after the spirit. When we consider the term flesh, as we've done during the Sunday school lessons, we know that there are a variety of meanings and senses that can be used. Now, we generally understand flesh to represent the substance of the human body. So uh, the skin would be a part of the flesh. Uh, our eyes, our ears, our nose, and other body parts would be considered the flesh as well. The Bible uses this literal use of the word, but we also find that throughout the pages of Scripture, there are other senses of the word flesh that are being utilized. And it becomes a, clearly apparent that uh, a proper understanding of the context is necessary to grasp the intended sense and meaning of the author. This is because the, the term flesh can also mean sinful humanity. And that is the physical aspect of a person in distinction to the immaterial soul, often understood as deceit of sin and rebellion to God. Paul's usage in Romans 8 in using flesh is in the sense of the human nature that is so completely overtaken and overruled by sin, a nature that is clearly opposed to God. And that nature is completely weak when attempting to honor God. And so what is he saying? What he's saying is that those who are in Christ Jesus do not live lives that are in complete disregard to God. They who are in Christ Jesus live lives that look to honor him. No one considers it wise to allow a newborn baby to do whatever they want, uh, to decide that Maybe it's best for the child to choose whatever they want to do today. We won't take a look at what they're doing. They can put on the TV. They can run around. They could play on a flight of stairs. Uh, there's a saying that goes, once a parent, always a parent. 
And this illustrates the fact that there will always be a need for a son or a daughter for their parents until the day of their death. Guidance and assistance and wise counsel and, and accountability. All of these things, the manner of life, the standards, all have been carved and shaped by parents, faithful parents. While the child is young, all of these things are put in action and are appreciated when the child grows into an older age. And when the child is disobedient, the one who doesn't obey the parent's instruction is clearly indicated to not be following in the stead or in the direction of the parents who have instructed him. And this is to be compared to the posture of the despair that mankind finds himself in. It is the posture that is marked with living according to their own desire and standards and not the standard of God who created them. So there is also an added effect in such, in such disobedience that is in an accompanying feeling and realization that something is indeed missing. Something is missing. Something that all of the days of your life cannot be fulfilled, fulfilled and not can be realized. And this is understood for those who are not in Christ Jesus. That all their days are spent in endless pursuit of satisfaction. A satisfaction that will never, ever be attained. This is because mankind's fulfillment comes from glorifying God. And to do anything that is of the contrary is to bring about despair. The line where life is lived that is contrary to God is his law. We learn that the law of God is his standard for living. It is a reflection of his holiness and the rule by which we are to live. What we see when we come to the law is a reflection of how far or how much we fail when measuring up to his standards. The law then has the function of judging us and condemning us as we are powerless in the flesh to please and honor God. And that is the declaration from Paul here that is so explosive and so wonderful, so rich and so assuring, that the evidence of no condemnation found here in verse 1 of Romans 8 is that those who are in Christ Jesus are not condemned by the law, the very standard that no man in and of himself can reach. That is because they walk according to the Spirit and not of the flesh. Our next point brings us to talk about the liberation of the Spirit, the liberation that the Spirit provides and gives us. Harriet Tubman has been called the Moses of her people. According to Wikipedia, she was born into slavery. Tupman escaped and subsequently made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved people, including family and friends, using a network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses known as the Underground Railroad. Her bravery and work was hardly in question until a few days ago. Kanye West, who is apparently running for president, said, quote, well, Harriet Tubman never actually freed the slaves. She just had the slaves go work for other white people. Now, it isn't going to be the place here to discuss the validity of his statement, 
the point is that while some, perhaps very small few, may share his beliefs, the subject of which there can be no doubt is who the liberator of the flesh is. Who is the liberator of the flesh? Verse 2 starts out by pointing out that the spirit of life, as being the liberator from the law of sin and death, is that liberator. Who, again, is the, the spirit of life? The spirit of life is the co-equal and co-eternal spirit of the Father and of the Son, who inspired Scripture and brings new life to people of God. The spirit of God is often portrayed in Scripture in the terms of breath, life, wind, indicating his role in sustaining and bringing life to God's creation. Genesis 1 describes how God brings out, the, 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 out of the formless waters, uh, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the, hub, over the surface of the waters. This is before God begins his creative works on the earth. And we see this powerful example of the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of life working to bring life we also see this seen in the conception of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in Mary. Here we see the very spirit of life conceiving, the very means by which we would find life, that being in Christ Jesus himself. And by that very same spirit, Christ would be resurrected, which indicates that the payment for the sins, as Nick was referring to during worship, of all those who would believe was accepted. It is that very same life that, that applies the finished work of Christ to all those who would believe. And so what we see here is that the function of the spirit of life, the function of the spirit, applies to the finished work of Christ to all those who would believe. And so what we see here is that the function of spirit of life enables us to realize and to honor and to obey God as we were intended to. The law of sin and death now being broken, which simply means that the overpowering desire for you to do what you want to do no longer has a hold on you. You are no longer a slave to your former life. You are no longer bound by the inescapable clutches of death. God has done this because we could not. The very law that has revealed his standard and has called us to obey as he is holy, ultimately in the flesh was not something that we desired to do. If we are honest with ourselves, we know and we understand that prior to coming to Christ, there was no desire to obey him. There was no desire to live according to his standard. There was no desire to please him. There was no consideration for the way we lived our lives. No standard that we held ourselves to. God, in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, was so that he could condemn that very attitude, that very posture, that very attitude of sin and death in the flesh. And that brothers and sisters, is the beauty of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says it well. 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This he did so that the condemnation that hangs over all men, the very desperate and depressing state of all mankind, would be eliminated for those who would believe. I would like to submit to you that to believe in Jesus isn't merely a situation where you have to say a magic word or you have to attend church service a number of different times in order to see, receive the prize and the gift, but rather it is something that is far much more than that, something far more deeper. And I believe the passages in Romans reveals that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. When a person declares Jesus Christ as their Savior and truly means it, they do not do it because they're inclined by mere rationalization that they have to have Jesus as a Savior uh, just in case something might happen in the future. Or, you know, that wrath to come sounds mighty dreadful. Let me just say that Jesus is my Savior. But rather, they have been inclined by the spirit of life to understand that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and worthy of worship. The profession of faith is made in a faithful way when there is a possession of faith. That possession of faith is evident when the spirit of life is indeed liberated a person from sin and death. Is that you, my brother and sister, as you sit and you hear this message and you hear this word? Are you walking in the spirit? Or are you indeed still gratifying the desires and lust of the flesh? Which brings us to our next point, the flesh versus the spirit walk. As we've mentioned before, the person who was liberated from the flesh, the person who now has life in the spirit is a person who walks in the spirit. Paul tells the Galatians that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The same thing as living by the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit is walking in the Spirit or being controlled by the Spirit of God by not yielding our bodies to the flesh with all of its passions. Paul shows that the evidence of a believer is faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and other such fruits that those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If they haven't, then they aren't crucifying the flesh, but walking in the flesh. By walking in the Spirit, they don't gratify the desires of the flesh. When we're not walking in the Spirit of, of God, 
we will be gratifying the desires of the flesh. And so the difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh are clearly evident. The fruits or the works that we produce give evidence as to which way we are walking. And that is how we, we are to know of whether or not we are walking either in the Spirit or in the flesh. That is why Paul wrote, for when we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh, because our warfare is not of flesh and blood, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. My brothers and sisters, there are indeed consequences for walking in the flesh. This isn't a mere option that we can choose between two choices. There are serious and dreadful consequences to walking in the flesh. Paul had great concern at all the churches that they would not walk according to the flesh because the consequences are most severe. And they include what the wages of this walk would represent, and that's death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He continues in Romans chapter 8 uh, by saying that he condemns sin in the flesh, so we must walk according to the flesh, not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. By Jesus' death for us, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, to be a God unto ourselves and to decide to do whatever it is that we want to do. But we are led by the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will indeed live. For all who have, are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so we realize that living by the flesh results in death, but if you're walking by the Spirit, you will put to death the very deeds of the body, the very deeds of the flesh. Now, Paul was persuaded of better things concerning the Christians in Rome because he said, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. However, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Walking in the spirit or the flesh, which one will you choose? Which one will you choose? Will you choose life? Will you choose to walk in the Spirit and enjoy the peace that it provides? Or will you continue to gratify the desires of the flesh, continue to hold your own standard with the way that you live, and ultimately live a life that ultimately would place you in damnation, in condemnation? Our works show the fruit of that. And the manner in which we are walking 
will indicate if whether we are indeed walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. If we do indeed decide that walking in the Spirit is for us, yeah, praise God. Overcoming the flesh is what we need to do. We understand that when the Spirit enters us, when the Holy Spirit has changed us, having heard the Gospel, we know that although we are renewed and we have a heart now that beats to honor and to love the Lord, we still have a struggle, we still have a war that is to fight in our members. And so, to recognize that the pathway that you ultimately want to do with regards to walking in the Spirit would ultimately mean, as we've discussed, that there has to be a putting to death of the deeds of the flesh. And so the first step is a walk of honesty, a walk of honesty where a person acknowledges that his sinful behavior uh, is before God. And this involves agreeing with what the Bible says. We also have to recognize that we all indeed fall short of God's glory. Psalms 130 uh, verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? This isn't the posture of an individual who, who thinks that he's perfect. Or the posture of an individual who says, Hey, I got no sin. I'm good. This is the posture of a person that knows that in and of their own strength, they fall very far from upholding the standard of God. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The next step to walk in the Spirit, which involves calling out to God in salvation, calling out to God in, in, uh, for salvation and receiving His Holy Spirit who empowers a person to live rightly before God, not to obey the flesh's desires. And so this is a transformation and a new walk of life that uh, we've seen described in several places um, that we've already touched on and talked. But the point is that your strength, your Savior, your help comes from the Lord and not your own self. Not in you trying to figure out your way to attain right standing before God or, or you lowering down the standard before yourself. I heard it said that Bloomberg thinks that he's, he's, he's a good man, that he's a great guy, and that, you know, he should make it into heaven for all of the good deeds that he's done. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we are not so deceived to think that we can create our own standards by which God must accept because we think we've done good or we think we've done right in our own eyes. There is indeed a standard above ours that we need to heed. Romans chapter 6, 11 says, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God, alive to God in Christ Jesus. The last step is a walk of death where the flesh is starved off of its desires and it ultimately dies. We are not in a position where we are always going to be completely overrun by sin. Just because we have a war to fight in, within our members does not mean that we do not attain or acquire victory every step by step. But rather, through the Spirit's empowering, we are able to recognize 
areas in our life of difficulty, areas of our lives of sin, and we're able to overcome those things through the Spirit's power. That doesn't mean that you can make excuses for certain sins by saying, well, I'm human after all. Well, it's my fight. That's my battle that I fight. I just can't get over it. You know, it's just something that I deal with and I can't. Oh, God help me. That's not our posture. Not when we have God living and residing in us. Can we say something so feeble and something so defeated would have power over us? As we've done in Sunday school, we, we took a moment to pause and to think and to reflect on the fact that God understood that our position was so depressing and so destitute that he himself res now resides in us. He himself now resides in us. That's how impoverished our state and our sin was. that in and of ourselves we could not in any way, shape, or form obey him or even function in the way that we ought to. But now he enables us by his spirit. He resides within us. And now we are more than conquerors. Now we overcome. Now we have victory because of Christ Jesus. To sum up, we can see that the evidence of whether or not we're walking in the flesh or in the spirit is as follows. Those who have the spirit of God produce fruits that reveal that they are a child of God. Uh, if there are no spiritual fruits, uh, then God is not their father. Those who walk in the spirit have crucified the flesh and do not submit themselves to the desires of the flesh. But those who don't walk in the spirit grieve the spirit and their works producing, are producing nothing more than the wages that they have earned. And those wages include death. Those who walk in the flesh live according to the flesh. They prove that by their works they do not have the Spirit of God within them. Those that walk in the flesh produce fruits of, uh, of, of, of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But those who walk in the spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you want to be associated with sexual immorality? Do you want to be associated with idolatry? Do you want to be associated with sorcery? Do you want to be associated with strife? Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries? Or do you want to be associated with the Spirit as an individual who walks according to the Spirit? If you aren't born again, then you will be associated with those things. And you will have the condemnation of God abiding upon you. And the truth is not, is that not one of your best works will ever please God. Not one of your best works under that condemnation will ever remove you from that position, from that place. 
from that posture and that position of despair and depression. Since you have rejected Christ in your position, if you have indeed done so, you reject your only hope for eternal life and salvation. And you have standing before you an eternal state of the worst depression that you can imagine. And that is to be under the wrath of God for eternity. The good news is that Jesus came to earth and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and became sin for us, so that when God the Father looks at us, as Nick says, he doesn't see our sinfulness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And he imputes, imputes his righteousness to us. And so today, if you've heard his voice, if today you are moved by the Spirit of God to walk in the Spirit and not of the flesh, repent and trust in him because today can be your day of salvation. If not, and Jesus returns before you are born again, you face a Christless eternity. And once again, that condemnation is the everlasting wrath of God. And so in conclusion, will you taste and see that the blessed assurance of the Christian, which is the empowering of the Holy Spirit to live lives unto God, liberating from sin and death, can also be yours as well? If so, turn away from your life of the flesh and live according to the Spirit. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this glorious day. As it has been said in worship, Lord, we are able to rejoice because we have you. Lord, while others can point to their bank accounts, others could point to uh, the various possessions and things that they have and uh, attempt to find happiness and satisfaction and joy, Lord, we as your children know that none of those things satisfy. None of those things give any help or any worth. And to ultimately chase those things are, it would be to find an emptiness, Lord, like no other. Lord, we know because your word, your beautiful revelation has stated very clearly, Lord, that we are wonderfully and beautifully crafted, Lord, so that we could honor you and bring you glory. To glorify you and to praise you, Lord, is the highest and most wonderful honor that any human being could have. But we also recognize what the text of Scripture says about our state, what it says about our position, what it says about our posture before you. In and of ourselves, in and of the flesh, we are at war with you. In and of ourselves, we do not look to honor you. We don't look to obey you. We don't look to uh, please you. We look to please ourselves. We look to make our own rules and our own laws. And since we know your text, your word is truth, then the very condemnation and wrath that awaits us, Lord, will also await us if we continue in this path. Help us, Lord. Help us where we are. Reach out to us, Lord. Send your spirit so that we might realize and come to ourselves 
and fall before your feet in repentance and endeavor all the more by the power of the Spirit to live lives that are holy and pleasing unto you. Help us to recognize your Spirit's work in our lives and help us to walk and keep in step with that Spirit. We pray and we, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.